Ramble. My dog Mango has been with me through some really crazy times in life. I mean, she's been with us for the past 10 years. If you guys don't know, Mango is my little French bulldog with half hair. Okay, she's fuzzy only half the time. And she is literally the glue of my family. I have quite literally named an entire podcast and a YouTube channel from my dog Mango. She is the reason that these channels exist. But three years ago, Mango was diagnosed with this autoimmune disease and she was always at risk of excessive bleeding. Her fur was falling out in clumps. It was it was a pretty stressful time in my life. I was constantly emotional about Mango being in pain and then I would be, get so stressed out every time I started going over the vet bills. Every time we took her to the vet, it was like thousands of dollars because her condition was so difficult to treat. And I am just so thankful that we had savings to cover it. I wish I had known about Spot Pet a few years back. It would have just eased so much of that stress. Our partner, Spot Pet Insurance, is here to share a message today on how they are a secret weapon against the unexpected. Because with Spot Pet Insurance, you can get up to 90% cash back on eligible vet bills. Our dogs are always there for us during our hardest times, and we need to be there for them too. Go to spotpet.com today and get a quote instantly. Visit spotpet.com. Paid ad from Spot Pet Insurance. Waiting periods, annual deductibles, coinsurance, benefit limits, and exclusions may apply. For all terms, visit spotpetins.com slash sample policy. Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. Bada bing, bada boom. Welcome to this week's mini-sode. I'm just going to drop you in. They had a very important meeting that night. They were going to kick in the screen door of the kitchen, enter the house, do whatever it takes to get the job done. The goal here is simple. Go upstairs, kill the 18-year-old high school girl who would probably be studying, then wait in the house next to her body while she bleeds to death and wait for her parents to come home. Kill them both. And don't forget the most important part of all. Before leaving, you have to grab the blue spray paint and write on their kitchen walls as big as you can. Fuck off, Asians. KKK. That got really hot and heavy. As always, yeah, that full, was yeah. very. I mean, wow. we're just going to get into it. As always, full source notes are available at RottenMangoPodcast.com. But this is about the Gonzalez family murders. And it's absolutely insane. The amount of twists, the amount of turns, the amount of just like what is happening, the drama, the subplots in this. It feels like a movie when it really shouldn't. I mean, how is this real life? And it all starts in a small town called Baguio. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And it starts with a man by the name of Teddy Gonzalez. Now, he's the fourth child the youngest in a very very poor family now don't judge this family though because they've got good values they're tight-knit they love each other they've got this incredible work ethic and they called him baby teddy he was the family's tiny little baby he was the youngest now teddy's brother said that since they weren't born with this silver platter this silver spoon just shoved in their butt it had to be implanted in them to just strive hard to be successful so teddy since the day he's born they keep telling him one day you're gonna grow up you're gonna do amazing things you're gonna do big things you might be a, a lawyer an attorney a freaking doctor what about a neurosurgeon since like he's one years old they keep kind of suggesting these things and you think well now it's gonna go the opposite way he's gonna turn into like an absolute crazy child no teddy was a hard worker from the get-go ambitious i mean the one thing that people said about him was that he was so mature for his age when he was even young he was obsessed with setting goals for himself surpassing them truly for asian parents they probably couldn't have been any prouder 
He gets into law school, passes the bar exams. He actually placed 13 in the entire country of Philippines that year for the bar exam. I don't even, that sounds crazy to me, wow. okay? He did so well. Everyone that knew him said that not only was he ambitious, but he was going to be the best attorney ever because he was fair. Okay, he's like looking at me like, huh, does that really make the best attorney? I feel like it's a really good judge. Maybe if you want to be an attorney and become a judge, right? Here's the thing. I feel like everyone has this feeling. Let me know if I'm wrong. You hate attorneys. I hate most attorneys. They're sleazy. They're all snakes. But then when I think about getting an attorney to represent me in anything, I'm like, do I want the nice guy over there? Or do I want that snake, that crazy go-getter over there? From your years of research, though, yes. what kind of attorney that makes the... That really ma- helps the case. Yeah, blunt. Blunt? Yeah. And snake. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily call them a snake, but more uh, blunt and incredibly aggressive. And I'm not saying that they're fighting for the good things, okay? They're not great people. That's not what I'm saying either, right? But those are the ones that win things. So you think what makes a good attorney is someone who what? That's aggressive? Just aggressive. Mm. Like just won't stop, can't stop, aggressive. In university, he meets this beautiful woman by the name of Loiva, and she was the eldest of six children. She also was really mature for her age because she almost was like this pseudo mom for these siblings. She raised them. She was she was like their second mom, just helping them through life, their schools, their food. She would feed them. And even though she was only eighteen when they met, she had this aura about her, just poised, elegant, proper, polite, someone who was raised right. And she wasn't raised in amazing conditions either. She grew up sleeping on the floor because there weren't enough beds or spaces for everyone in the family. Within a few months, they get married. I mean, it's crazy to think that this married couple is going to end up from the Philippines and then in Australia being brutally murdered by people who, I guess, really hate Asians. I mean, how do we even get there? People would tease them nonstop, the couple, because they were madly in love. (laughs) So they were constantly holding hands. That's what they did. Even when they were, you know, well into their marriage, when they moved to Australia, they've got kids already. They still hold hands all the time. Like they truly loved each other. And like a lot of Filipino families, they were equal partners in their relationship. So both sides, they just had tremendous respect for each other. There wasn't like a head person in charge. I'm going to I'm the man of the house. Like there wasn't any of that. So they start doing these business ventures together. They start getting into real estate, property development. They start opening up a video shop, a pharmacy. Then they start popping out kids. So their first one was a son named Seth. S-E-F. I'm not saying Seth incorrectly, okay? It's S-E-F. Now, this is not a popular name in the Philippines that I could find out because it seems like most people had no idea what the name came from. Everyone in the family was like, well, how did you come up with this name? Where did you, did you hear it somewhere? Did you watch a movie or, you know, do you know someone with this name? Mm -hmm. And they just kept telling everyone, we're going to tell Seth why we chose this name for him when he turns 21 years old. And we will never find out. Then three years after Seth, they had another child, a daughter named Claudine. And uh, they were three years apart. They kind of got along in the beginning, but not really. And the whole thing that this family wanted to do, the parents said, this is the dream. We're going to build a hotel, a massive four-story, 40-room hotel. We're going to name it the Queen Victoria Hotel. There's going to be a lounge, a restaurant. We're going to live in there. It's going to be our business, our primary residence. Are you kidding? This is like the sweet life of Zach and Cody. It's going to be so freaking fun. So they work hard during the construction phase. They get their permits, and they set up shop, and it was doing 
well. People loved it. People loved the ambiance. People loved the family. People loved the fact that the family lived in the hotel. Like it just, I mean, they did so well. They are from this town. They set up the hotel in this small town. They were passionate and everyone could see it. They put their whole hearts into it. And then in 1919, there was one of the worst earthquakes in the Philippines. I mean, this whole area, this small town was hit really, really hard. And when it struck, that hotel started crumbling. I mean, a ton of buildings were completely leveled during this. So the earthquake hits. Chaos. Parts of the ceiling are coming undone. Drywall is coming undone. Bookshelves are falling over. Everyone's running out, trying to get to safety. I mean, wherever that is, the hotel starts caving in. There's rubble falling down on top of them. So everyone's like, wake up, you know, Seth, Claudine, wake up. They start rushing out the hotel, screaming, make it out. Come on, we got to go. They look back. And they see that the hotel is still crumbling. They're watching their entire dream, their entire life just crumble because they live there. Mm -hmm. All their stuff is in there. Yeah. Crumbling to the ground. And that's when they realize, where's Seth? He was right behind me. I thought he was behind me. No. How old was Seth? He's like eight. So they start screaming, Seth, and they hear him screaming from underneath the rubble. Without even a second thought, the building could still cave in at any given moment. Teddy rushes in to save Seth, and he had to get on all floors to get through the rubble. Seth, Seth, where are you, right? Now, Seth's leg was stuck under some rubble. So he had to, you know, take that rubble out, force him, help him to safety, and they both made it out alive. Seth could have died if it wasn't for his dad, and his dad could have died by trying to save Seth. It was like this really unfortunate situation. Thankfully, he was, you know, rushed to the hospital. He had to have multiple surgeries on his foot, but he was, you know, alive. When they get out of the hospital, though, they realize that their entire life, their entire family life, their entire business is gone at this point. They don't have a business. They don't have a home. What what do we do? Seth is pretty much traumatized. He doesn't even want to go anywhere near that hotel, understandably. So why don't we start fresh? Why don't we try moving to Australia? Loiva had some family members who had moved there. They love it. They had they had so much success, you know, and there probably won't be that many earthquakes there, right? That's what they're telling the kids, and their kids are like, yeah, Australia, let's go. So they pack up their bags, and they move to Sydney. Now, the parents felt like we're starting from scratch again. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, we've got money. We've saved up. We've got property in the Philippines, but we really need to work hard to make it in Australia. Mm-hmm. So they start working hard hard teddy gets his license to practice law in australia opens up his own law firm as an immigration attorney to help filipinos to come into australia so he did become an attorney oh yeah is that not crazy and it's like you know he's helping out his people to immigrate just like he did for the australian dream and loivia she was working as his assistant inside the law firm and business was great they were able to buy their dream house in the suburbs i mean they were really living that australian dream and uh that's it no that's not it because being typical asian immigrant parents no matter how successful they are No matter how much that they can give their kids, they want their kids to not only have better lives than them, but they want their kids to achieve more than them. So they keep putting a lot of stress. Now that they're settled down, they're really turning into um, kind of, I guess, what you would think of Asian immigrant parents like the tiger moms. Come on, you guys have to study more. You're not allowed to date anybody until after college. But then after college... 
immediately. The minute that you graduate, you get that diploma. Where's the grandchild? <laughs> Why is there not one on the way? <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so Seth, he had no problem. I mean, he has always been great at school. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of tension in the house. But he's a smart kid. He's going to be a doctor one day. Maybe a lawyer. Maybe he's going to follow in his dad's footsteps. Everyone that knew Seth called him relatively reserved. A very disciplined kid. Very similar to Teddy, like how people would describe him during his childhood. Focused on school, his extracurricular activities. A well-rounded student. God, that's a traumatizing phrase. I remember so many college little meetings and they're like, you got to be well-rounded. <laughs> You're like, oh no. Is it true? Really? For college applications, yeah, you got to like do this and do that. Oh gosh. So Claudine, she did well in school too, but nowhere near what Seth was doing. I mean, she was a bit more outgoing, wanted to hang out with friends, super talkative, loved sports. I mean, the two of them, they start fighting a lot in Australia, the siblings. There was a sense of competition between them because whoever was doing the best in school was probably the favorite of the family at the time. Like, you're getting that extra dumpling if there is one. You're getting the last shrimp on the table. You're the favorite, okay? You get to ride shotgun. But regardless of that tension, Seth was super protective over Claudine. Like, this was his baby sister. And Claudine secretly looked up to Seth. She would never in a million years admit it in front of him. But she really admired his work ethic and his intelligence. So this type of environment really fosters secrets. You know, the kids, they mm -hmm. they can't date, they can't do any of this. So, of course, they're going to have their secrets. And each sibling has their own secrets and they exchange them. You promise you won't tell mom? I'll tell you if you tell me, right? Mm -hmm. Now, Claudine's secret was that she ends up uh, getting a boyfriend named Chris. How old are they now? They're in high school now. Okay. So, she ends up dating a guy named Chris. Doesn't sound like a big deal, right? But mm -hmm. they're not supposed to date. It's distracting you from your studies. Somehow, the parents find out and they take it seriously. They say, that's it, you guys are breaking up. So they force her to break up with him. They take away her phone privileges. They take away her computer privileges. And then eventually, when they find out that they're still talking, they send her to live with a relative. They move her from Sydney, Australia to Melbourne, Australia to finish high school. Undistracted, away from boys. Now, to be fair, even Seth didn't like Chris, not because he was distracting Claudine from her studies, but because uh, it just seemed like he was a bad influence. Like he, Chris just seemed like a weird dude. So what Seth would do is he would actually call up Chris and say, you need to leave my sister alone because I'm part of the White Dragon Asians. The what? Yeah, it's a gang. The White Dragon Asians. And I'm going to be coming after you, okay? Me and the Asians. <laughs> I can say this, I'm Asian, okay? We're going to be coming for your thickums. And it worked. Like, Chris was terrified. He was like, the white dragons! So he broke up with Claudine. Like, they were still talking to each other after she moved to Melbourne. But uh -huh. after this, mm -mm, he was not having it. Not the white dragon Asians. Like, he was terrified. This gang doesn't exist, by the way. <laughs> like, it's, it's all made up. But Seth, he too had a little secret. Everyone told him, you gotta be a doctor. You gotta be an attorney. But truly, he wanted to be a singer. A an R&B hip-hop singer. Oh, yeah. He told his parents, listen, I'm going to just sing on the side. It's going to be great for, you know, extracurricular for my college apps. Like, that's why I'm not taking it seriously. And his parents would be like, good, don't take it seriously because that's not a job. Yeah. OK, my bad. So he joins this boy group called Definite Vibes. <laughs> Definitely a vibe. That name is kind of... Uh Definite vibes. Trend setting. Trend setting. Back in the day. Ex exactly. Back in the day before vibes was, I guess, 
Yeah. As popular as it is today. Exactly. Yeah. So they performed at clubs. They had these dance-offs. Dance-offs uh-huh. at clubs. Now, a lot of people said that they were a little bit awkward on stage, but it did really well because Seth even got offered a $40,000 recording deal with a major music company in the area. Well, I wouldn't say like wow. major, but like a smaller music company in Sydney. And he's still just in high school. So that's crazy. Yeah. Now, his parents were like, yeah, no. You're not doing that. Like, absolutely not. Are you kidding me? You're going to be an attorney. Definite vibes. My butthole. Get out of here. So he had his stands, too. Like, he had fans. He had groupies. He had girls that would come to literally every single club that he ever performed at. And one of his super stands was a girl by the name of Daisy Diaz. She had a she had a website dedicated for him called Daisy's Dedication Page for Sefi. And it says, I'm Daisy Diaz, and I wrote this page for my best friend, Seth. Remember that he's a sweetie and a true friend. Besides being trustworthy, cute, adorable, kind, understanding, intelligent, and can sing in a way that makes girls' hearts melt. Just talented. <laughs> he talks, she talks about how talented he was. He's good at kickboxing. Oh, here's a photo of him modeling shirtless. She was like, oh, my God, swoon, right? He, he, he does uh, athletic stuff. Wow. And he's smart. Like she was, um, it's kind of like a borderline. Is she admiring him or is this going to turn into something creepy vibe? Does that make sense? Okay. Like it wasn't a regular fan page. Mm. Like a regular fan page is like, haha, like, look at what happened. Oh, I love this person. Right. But this was a, if you mess with him, you mess with me type okay. of page. Okay. And it was clear that she wanted to date him. There were a ton of poems out for him, you know, pictures of him performing on stage that were candid. So it seems like she was following him around from stage to stage. Did they know each other from high school? We don't really know. She wrote in a post, every time I close my eyes, I thank the Lord that I've got you, babe, and you've got me too. Some people think that there's no such thing as a dream guy. Well, in my eyes, you prove them wrong. Sefi, if you ever stop being my friend... I would be so incomplete. Okay, you read it a little creepy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're like, it's you, it's a you problem. Yeah. <laughs> so in college, Seth decides, yeah, I definitely want to get into law. Like, I don't think med school is my thing. It's just not for me. So he starts going to school, working part-time under his dad. What, what's wrong with that? I'm just thinking about the pressure of all of that. I'm like, holy cow, uh, okay. He's learning the ropes. Maybe he's trying to take over, getting his degree, and he's doing really well. I mean, the Gonzalez parents, yeah, they're strict, but they're not the type to not show affection or praise. So when they notice that he's doing well, I mean, they surprise him with things. So, for example, they surprised him with a Ford Festiva green, like, truck. He was so stoked. I mean, this is his dream car. He had been wanting this for ages now. And finally, he could, he could drive around and do things. Not pick up girls, though, because his parents would take away his car then, even though he's in college, you know. But anything else, he can totally do it. He even got his license plate to say S-E-F-G, Seth Gonzalez. And on top of that, once the two kids were grown, the parents had plans to sell their dream house use that money to buy both of them their own starter places and downsize their own place. So like I said, like the Gonzalez parents, they really were not just tiger parents. Mm -hmm. They wanted their kids to really strive for great big things, but they showed them a lot of love. They did spoil the kids. By the time 2001 comes around, everyone's doing really well. I mean, Seth, he had some super fans that kind of might be on the border of being stalkerish but that's fine like he's got a support group he's successful working for his dad so he's still singing yeah okay like he's doing a lot 
Okay. Yeah, he's his school's going great. Still made time for his passions like kickboxing. Uh, he loved taekwondo. He, yeah, I mean, just a lot's going on, right? Parents were about to renew their vows. That's true love. And Claudine, she was about to turn 18. And she's going to come home from Melbourne to celebrate with the whole family. July 10th, 2001. Claudine is living with the uh, the family for the next couple of days. It was just her 18th birthday. She had a blast. They went out to dinner, right? So she's staying for the next two days. That so morning, she's, she came back from Melbourne. Yeah. She, with, for, from school, right? Yeah, just for like a like a couple days. Okay. She yeah. doesn't live here a long time. No. Okay. So. Not yet. So both parents, they leave for work and Seth goes to school. Then he has to go to go to work at his dad's office. Then he had plans to meet out with some of his friends that night. A mm-hmm. guy named Sam. And he told his mom in advance. He said, hey mom, are you sure it's okay? Like, don't make dinner for me. Don't be waiting up. Like, please don't call me and be like, why are you here for dinner? Mm-hmm. I'm telling you. Can you confirm? And she's like, yeah, sounds good. Claudine, she was home at this point. She just wanted to stay home. You know, she had her dinner festivities last night with her family. She's leaving in a few days, just resting. So the house really was empty, except for Claudine. Now, Lovia's sister, which is Mrs. Gonzalez's sister, her name is Emily. And she had picked up her son from daycare that day. Oh, hold on, hold on. Who who is this? This is uh, Mrs. the mom's sister. So So like the aunt of the kids. Yeah, so the aunt, she had picked up her son from daycare. And Mm -hmm. she's like, you know what? I'm in the area. It's what, 6 o'clock? She's looking at her watch. Yeah, it's 6 my sister should be home from work. I'm going to stop by. Ooh, maybe some family gossip. We'll drink some coffee, eat some snacks, talk about the family, right? So she skirts guard drives on over. She had tried to call Lovia, but she wasn't picking up. But she just assumed, I mean, this is not like a spontaneous woman. Like, Lovia is pretty by the books. Like, she would be home around this time. Yeah. So she drives up. Thankfully, the rain had stopped. It was raining before. Mm-hmm. And she's like, okay, well, I don't need to get my umbrella. I can just take my kid, knock on the door. We're going to get coffee. How old is the kid? Like, eight years old. Okay. So when she gets there, there's no lights on. I mean, it's completely silent, which is weird because it's getting a little bit dark. But it doesn't look like any of the rooms have their lights on. Nobody just, like, sits in their house in the dark. Okay, weird. She sees Seth's car in the driveway. Okay, well, maybe they all took one car to get dinner. Mm-hmm. That's weird. So I thought Seth isn't coming home. Yeah, maybe he had taken a different car. Maybe oh, his friend okay. had picked him up, right? So she sees a small light in on the back of the house, maybe like a kitchen light. Mm-hmm. She gets closer and she starts, you know, kind of knocking, knocking more. Nobody answers. No noise. This is bizarre. Because they've got six tiny little dogs that bark like crazy. Like, I I don't know what kind of dogs they are. I don't know the breed, but I'm imagining chihuahuas in my head. Just like tiny little chihuahuas Mm -hmm. barking. But there's no barking? No, no, but no barking. I'm trying to spend a little bit more time on me. A little more me time. Because after we moved, it's all just been family time after family time. And one of my favorite things to do when it's just me is play Best Fiends. I am obsessed with this game. It's a super fun mobile puzzle game that I have been playing for years now. And it's challenging. Like, it makes my brain just get so excited. So if if I'm laying in bed after a long day of work, this is what I pull up on my phone. If I'm on the toilet, this is what I pull up on my phone. And if you guys have never heard of it, which I'd be surprised because I talk about it 
all the time. Best Fiends has thousands of puzzles and they add new ones all the time. Like it's so hard to put down your phone sometimes because I'm already on level 421. But my goal is to be like probably like 460 by the end of the month. And my favorite thing is that I can literally play it anywhere without having to worry about using up my data or finding Wi-Fi. So even when I don't have internet for whatever reason, I never have to miss out on any of the thousands of fun puzzles Best Fiends has to offer. And remember how I said this is my me time thing, but it's not really anymore because my whole family has jumped onto this. Like even my dad, he doesn't even speak like a wink of English. He has been playing Best Fiends on his phone. It's free to download. You can start solving puzzles right away. There's a ton of cute characters that you can collect called Fiends that you get along the way. My favorite is probably Beebert the Bumblebee. So freaking cute. It makes it feel like you're a kid again. And I love the fact that it's really casual. Like you don't have to be like a crazy gamer. And we're not the only ones that love it because it's had 100 million downloads. That's insane. Make sure to download the five-star rated puzzle game, Best Fiends, free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. And that's when she's about to walk away, and in her peripheral vision, she sees what looks like a man standing inside with a coat on. And she kind of freaks out and looks back and says, oh my God, and her son's like, what's wrong, mom? I think I just saw someone in there. What? So he peeks in through the little side window near the front door. And he says, Mom, that's just the coat stand. Oh. And she's freaked out, okay? So she doesn't double check. She's like, are you sure? He's like, yeah. Why are you being so weird? Don't, you're scaring me, Mom. Like, don't be so creepy. She's like, okay, maybe you're right. Here, why don't you get in the car? I'm going to go check. Let's just check it out. She's determined to check all the other doors, maybe the side door, maybe the back door, see if they're unlocked. If she can go through the back, maybe she can see what's going on in the kitchen, look through the kitchen window, right? But for some reason, the minute that she gets to the side of that carport, the side of the house, something told her not to go further, a strange gut feeling. She doesn't know what it is. She says, okay, maybe I'm overthinking things. Maybe it's the fact that it was raining and it's like kind of gloomy now because it stopped. I I just want to go home. There's so many of these uh, instances yes. of people about to open the door to something, what but they have that? a feeling. Do you think it's just like that unsettling feeling? Yeah, probably something is off about the house, mm-hmm. but it's so settled that you don't notice it. But your body just feels like, oh, it's just too quiet or it's mm. just too this. So uh, something is telling you it's yeah. off. So she gets back into the car with her son and she goes home. Now, Emily still keeps calling the house. Emily's trying to call. The aunt still tries to call the house, try to get in contact with Lovia, her sister. Like, hello, why were you home? That was weird. Where are the dogs? But she keeps getting the busy signal. Meanwhile, Seth is out with his friend Sam at a restaurant called Planet Hollywood. And he had ordered this massive cheeseburger. And he just felt like something was wrong, too. And he just can't eat this cheeseburger. He's like, I don't know what's going on. And his friend is like, hey, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you eating? And he just, I don't know. I, I, I just feel weird. I don't know. Maybe it's the fact because my mom recently got food poisoning. She had to go to the hospital like a couple days ago. Uh, I think she like ate at a restaurant and it was like undercooked. But she stayed in the hospital overnight. And now I'm like, is my cheeseburger undercooked? Like, I feel weird. So the friend's like, all right, well, why don't we just go to the arcade next door? Let's just hang out there. So they hang out at the arcade. Then they end up going home. So Seth at this point, so this is around like 11 p.m. He -hmm. drops off Sam at his house and goes home. Now, when he gets home, he notices some things are off too. It's like around midnight. The fact that he parked the car 
And he said that the dogs were now barking. Like, the dogs are barking. And he said this is weird because the dogs don't really bark when he gets home. Like, they know the sound of his car. And so he's like, okay, well, what's happening right now? Wait. I know. A couple like, hour difference between when the aunt came. But the dog wasn't barking earlier. Yeah. Okay. So he gets into the house and the first thing that he sees is his dad's bloodied body. Right at the entrance. He sees his mom's body. He checks on his sister, oh sees her gosh. body, runs out of the house, panicked. He calls emergency services, 911. Uh, I think it's like 000 over there. Um, and he says, like, please, someone shot my parents. And like, it's it's really like frantic. Like he's sobbing the whole time. They're on the floor. Someone shot them. Please come. Like, what do I do? There's blood everywhere. He runs to his neighbor's house right across the street from him. And his name is John. And he's like, John, where are you? Please help me. He's literally banging, not just on the doors, but on the walls of his house because no one's coming to the door. My parents, they've been shot. And John at this point, I mean, he's scared. Okay. He's confused. He's like, how do we know where the shooter is like what if it's still in your house dude like he doesn't want to go so another neighbor comes out he's he hears the whole commotion his name is shane and he's like what's going on what's going on with you guys why are you guys screaming and he's like my parents my parents please we got to do something we got to do something help me help me and john's still like ah dude i don't know i'm gonna go in and call you know emergency services because i don't know where that gunman is and i'm not trying to go inside right yeah but are you supposed to go back in or or supposed I mean, to go I, somewhere else I feel like if it were a random stranger, I might hide and call emergency services. But if it were my family, I don't think I'd be thinking. I think I would just be like, I got to like see if my mom's alive. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'd be like, oh, but what if, you know, I think I'd be like, oh, my God, what yeah. do I do? So he's like, we got to go. We got to go. So Shane is like, come on, just tell me what's going on. We're calling. Let's wait for the police. Let's wait. Mm-hmm. So he gets them to the driveway and he sits down with him. And he's like, you have to calm down, okay? Look at me. Just tell me what's going on. And he's like, they're they're all shot. I, th- I think they're dead. Like, we have to do something. And he says, well, what do you mean? I, di- I didn't hear any shots. And he says, I don't know. Like, I just got home. Please, they're all dead. Like, you have to help me. Okay, it's okay. Well, there were these two guys. I literally chased them down the street before I came to John's place. And I couldn't catch them. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Who said this? Seth. He said he was chasing people? Like, he wasn't necessarily chasing them, but he, he saw two people leave, and he thought that they were leaving his house. Like, they looked so suspicious. When? Before he opened the door? No, right after he opened the door and saw the bodies. And somebody ran out? Yeah. Oh, what? Of, like, a different door. So he's, like, freaking out at this point. He's like, I don't think that they're in there. Like, I gotta go inside. Oh, okay. And so Shane's like, no, you really can't go inside. Yeah. And out of nowhere, mid-conversation, he's like, I know CPR. I know CPR. So he rushes back into the house and Shane's like, fork, I gotta I gotta follow this guy. He's like 20 years old. Seth is 20. He's young. He's uh-huh. got this baby face, okay? Like, he probably looks younger than 20. So Shane is thinking, this is like teenagers. No, he can't be alone. So he rushes in there after him. And he's like, this is not a good idea. Like, you don't want to see your parents like this. And Seth is just... Like, Shane said it was emotional. He's just sobbing and calling him Papa. I don't know if that's, like, uh, he's just saying Papa, Papa, like, shaking him, trying to get him awake, and he won't wake up. And Shane has to pull him off and is, like, trying to comfort him. But it's really tragic. This whole thing is so tragic. And there was this huge hole in Teddy's chest. Like, the injuries were extensive. Shane knew. Shane is logically thinking right now, and he knew that Teddy was dead. So he's, he's pulling pulling stuff off of him 
And he said, my mom too. And he runs around the corner and he's screaming at his mom like, mommy, mommy, like, please. Uh, And Shane pulls Seth off. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And he drags him out of the house. I mean, this guy's a wreck. And he's like shaking, hysterical in the garage. The police rush to the scene. They have no idea what they're walking into. They have no idea how many people are in the house, how many are injured, how many are dead, if the killers are nearby. And Seth is waiting there just frantic. So they first find Teddy's body. No pulse. He had been stabbed multiple times. His spine had been severed partially. So he was partially paralyzed at the time of the attack. So it wasn't just a blow. It was none of them were shot. But it was so bloody, it looked like they had been shot. They were all either stabbed or um, hit with blunt force trauma. With what they imagined probably was a baseball bat or something. They find the mom. Her throat had been brutally slit. She was also already dead. They go upstairs. They find the 18-year-old sister, Claudine. She was dead in her own room, and she was laying in a fetal position, covered in her own blood. There was blood all over her walls. They all had extensive defensive wounds, so this was not an instant painless way to go. I mean, this they fought long and hard. They it was really bad. The whole process was it was bad. So they start trying to piece this story together. I mean, are we looking at all three of them attacked at the same time because that means how many killers are we looking for? I mean, one thing that they did know is that all three of them try to fight back and there's no really clear evidence as to why until They walk into the kitchen and they see the big words in blue. Fuck off, Asians. KKK. Did they think this was the motive or, you know, sometimes people fake a motive, right? See, that's where it gets even more confusing. Mm -hmm. None of the motives really work. Really? So let's talk about the time of death because that says a lot. And this is going to kind of freak you out. Now, Claudine had died first. She died at approximately around 4 p.m. That's what the police and the doctors believe. Mm -hmm. Now, at this point, all of this information is kept confidential within the officers and the medical examiners. They're not releasing this to the public. They're not going around telling people about the time of deaths. So everyone from the outside perspective, they just think, wow, this family of three has been, well, this family of four, three of them have been brutally slaughtered in their own house. Mm -hmm. Claudine died first around 4 4 p.m. She had been studying on her desk. Someone sneaks into her room, comes up behind her, and starts the brutal murder. Lovia, the mom, she comes home first before Teddy does. She came in through the door, immediately was attacked, didn't even have time to take off her shoes. That was around 4.50 p.m. Mm-hmm. So someone had waited. The killers had waited with, with Claudine's dead body in the house for like an hour. Mm-hmm. That's creepy. Yeah, and sounds like probably someone knows their schedule too, right? Yeah, and what did they do in those hours? Like, what did they do in those 50 minutes? Did they trash the place? Did they rob the place? Were they looking for something? The whole place was relatively clean, other than the bodies and the blood in those specific areas. Nothing seemed to be trashed. So Teddy leaves the office around 6.30 p.m., gets home. On his way home, he had actually called his wife, and nobody picked up. Not that alarming, though. He walks straight in through the door, and he was attacked by the killer or the killers. Immediately. So why would someone wait between 4 to 7 p.m. to kill the whole family? And did they wait for Seth? Like, was he supposed to be their last target? Is that why he saw them running out of the house? Or maybe Teddy was their main target. Then why didn't they attack Seth? Because, I mean, I think that he was probably screaming the minute that he saw the dad. 
Hmm. So okay. the rest of the families, they were ambushed. Got it. They didn't have time to really react until they were in the process of being stabbed. So they had to talk to Seth, okay? But this guy's a mess. I mean, this kid's like a wreck. So he's in the family garage. He's confused. He's scared. And he kept asking for rosary beads because they're Catholic, right? And he he doesn't know what to do. Like, this is his whole family. He's always really been under the direction of his parents. So he, is, he doesn't even know what to say. So they say, okay, well, tell us what happened. Well, I came home after hanging out with Sam and I saw these two people. I think that they were men. They were wearing hoods and masks. And th- I mean, their body shaped and their, just the way that they were running seemed like men. But they had run out of the house and down the street. And so I tried to chase them, but I couldn't catch them. And then I was like, okay, well, I can't do this. I got to get my medical attention for my family. So I called 000. I went to my neighbor's house. I was freaking out. And they said, well, do you know anyone that would want you guys dead? Nobody, literally nobody. Last night something happened, but I mean, I, that'd be crazy if this is connected. There was an incident where we were all going out for Claudine's birthday dinner. We were in the same car and we almost got into an accident with another car. And they drove up right next to us, rolled down their windows and said, bloody Asians. And then wow. cut us off and drove off. No. Okay, this is weird. Now the police are confused. Is this a hate crime? Like a road rage hate crime? But the crime scene is strange. It doesn't really fit perfectly with the hate crime because if you're that full of hatred and that disgusting of a person, I would imagine that they would trash the place. They would, in my head, I'm like, they'd probably like urinate all over the place. You just feel like really disgusting shit. Like that's what I imagine really racist, murderous people to be doing. But the whole place was relatively clean. The dogs were placed in the laundry room. You know, that's what they were barking when Seth came home. And there's really no trashing of the place. Maybe some of the closets were open. The only thing trashed were really Lovia's purse and Teddy's briefcase. But when they searched that, they couldn't understand because there was cash left in them. So it's not a robbery either. Does that mean that these people were looking for something specific? Did the family have something specific in the house that the killers were probably looking for? Because all of their expensive computers, jewelry, they were out in the open. Nothing was taken. Just doesn't make sense. So how did they get in? The kitchen window screen was all stabbed. It looked like someone had cut into it. But you still have to rip it off the window. And there wasn't any sign of force that it was ripped off, like, viciously. Looked like someone kind of took their time with it. So these killers are weird. Are they just that professional? Have they done this a lot? Like, what's going on? The murder weapons were also all from inside the house. So if you're going to go kill strangers in a house because you hate them because they're Asian, you would assume that even the stupidest criminal of them all would pack a bag or at least bring one tool, right? Mm-hmm. So they're like, okay, well, Seth, run us through the day bit by bit because maybe there's something that we're missing. Like, did you see someone around the house? When you were at the office, did someone call? Did he have an angry client that came in? Just tell us. So his aunt is in with him. You know, Emily's there and they're both running through the day. And he says, no, it was like a super normal day. I went to school. I went to work and I kept reminding my mom, like, you're sure it's okay if I go out for dinner? She said, it's fine. Go out for dinner with your friend, Sam. So while I'm at work, Sam texts me and he says, hey, change of plans. I have a basketball game. And it was just really unclear. So I'm like, what the heck does that mean? Like you have a basketball game like we're supposed to meet. I don't I don't understand. So he's like, "Okay, maybe I'll just go home and wait for him to text me back, because at this point he was it's time for him to get off. So he drives home, parks in the driveway around 6 p.m. The house is, you know, super dark on the inside. No lights are on. And he didn't think that his mom was home. So he's Mm -hmm. like, okay, that's weird because she should be home. 
and it's raining pretty hard, doesn't have an umbrella. So he decides to wait in the car till the downpour stops a little bit. Wait, he didn't go inside? No. Why? And he called Sam from inside the car. Because, okay, so you know when it rains, it like you get that crazy rain okay, and then okay. it slows down. So he didn't have an umbrella. So he's just waiting for it to slow down. But if he'd gone in at that time, yes. a lot of things could have been different. Yes. I mean, there's so many just weird things going on, like these moments. So then he calls Sam and he says, hey, like, what, what does that text mean? What's going on? But are, are you also saying at that moment, the killer are in the house? Yes. So Sam is like, okay, let's do eight o'clock. And now he's like, oh, eight o'clock. Like, what am I going to do for two hours? And, he, you know, he's kind of thinking, if I go in, my mom's probably going to, like, try to convince me not to go out to dinner. So he's like, okay, I got to go. I got to just act like I'm still meeting my friend. So he reverses out of there and he starts driving to another friend's house. So he's like, I'm just going to hang out with my friend. But I don't know if it was the rain or if he got lost. But um, he ends up not meeting with his friend. And it's like, okay, like this is like the shittiest day of my life. And he goes, picks up Sam. They get dinner. And he's just feeling weird through the whole dinner. Like just. He was wandering around for two hours? Well, it wasn't really like two hours at that point. It was like maybe an hour because he had to go pick up Sam, you know. So it's like one of those awkward situations where he didn't have enough time to do something. So he picks up Sam. They go to dinner and go to the arcade. Afterwards, he goes home. And the first thing that he noticed when he pulls up is that the dogs are barking like crazy. He's like, that's so weird. So that's when he goes in and he finds his whole family. Now, the press is going crazy. The media is going crazy. None of this makes sense. Is it a hate crime? Mm -hmm. But that doesn't fit perfectly. Is Teddy doing something shady with work? He's Asian. Maybe he's running some weird. (laughs) We talked about this a lot, right? Uh. Every, every freaking movie. Okay. I don't know why everyone imagines the back of a Chinese restaurant to be 10,000 square feet of full on gang activity with that one grandma playing Mahjong. (laughs) We got to get more creative with our movies. (laughs) So they're thinking, you know, is maybe Teddy doing something shady at work? Or maybe Seth, that guy Chris, was saying, hey, remember Claudine's Mm ex-boyfriend? He's like, well, he threatened me. He's part of the White Dragons Asian gang. So now the press is like, wait, did you say Asian gang? Maybe Seth was part of a gang and he had messed with the wrong people. And this is a gang getting their revenge. Maybe it's a race, race rivalry. You know, fuck off Asians. Maybe the KKK, I'm assuming. Maybe they're, you know different race that were like you know fork you asians but none of those leads really looked that promising so they really dig into teddy's work and they find a couple of things that were alarming the first being that um he had four charges that recently were cleared of him falsifying documents for filipinos to enter in australia so they were lying on their documents the government found out they were pissed about it but all charges were cleared there was another incident where he was trying to sell property in the philippines and the investor got really mad so the investor of the real estate property was just pissed and he called him and in front of a lot of witnesses at teddy's workplace Mm -hmm. called him and said i will kill your whole family okay and teddy screamed teddy is always a reserved quiet mature person he screamed for the first time in his office fuck you and hung up the phone then another incident where um, a couple of clients were really upset with teddy because they were denied visas into australia but he kept their payments so could it be them But again, none of those were looking promising. So at this point, three days after the murders, Seth offers a $100,000 reward for anyone that can please help catch these killers. 
And he says, my father is my hero in all matters. My greatest aim was to one day become at least half the man that he was. My mom was the heart of the family, just a very strong, passionate person. She made it seem like nothing was impossible, no problem insolvable. And my sister was the life of the family. She was an expert in smiling. She made us believe that life should be taken lightly. And it's, it's difficult to explain the love and ties in a family. But if you were to picture the four corners of the world, in my world, we were the four. And now the three corners of my world are gone. Please, like, if you know anything. So there would be a joint funeral service for the whole family. Over 300 people would attend. And um, a ton of clients came up who felt like they wouldn't be in Australia if it weren't for the help of Teddy and Lovia. High schoolers that were grieving the loss of Claudine that wanted to support uh, Seth. They were there. Police showed up because the killers are still at large. They haven't been caught. And many people went up and gave powerful eulogies. And then the emotional moment came when it was time for Seth's. People were breaking down. It was emotional. He talked about how he wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for his dad's bravery saving him in that earthquake when he was young. He remembers that. And he says that the rhythm of his heartbeat planted life in me and at that early moment instilled all the strength that I needed to face the life ahead of me. And a man like my dad does not die. His heart continues to beat in me and in all of you who have known him. And he said that he was so sad because he will never know the meaning of his name. And it was taken away with my father. That part of me will always be incomplete. Quick question. This is trivia. When you walk into a CVS right now, instantly, what do you picture is in your hand? Your phone. That's exactly what you thought. You've got your phone. Now, where's your wallet? Probably in your pocket. Maybe it's in your giant purse that you got to dig through right in the checkout lane. You're getting anxious. People are waiting behind me. Oh my gosh, am I holding up the line? You're digging in there, but you've also got an armful of things because who leaves CVS with just one thing? No, every time I go in there, I got to get fake lashes. I got to get lipsticks. I got to get multiple lipstick. I got to get snacks. You also got to get a tube of mascara. Now, all of these are in your hand. And do you really want to dig through that purse or dig through your pockets to pull out your wallet? Probably not. Because when it's time to pay, you probably already have your phone in your hand. And here's the cool thing. You can actually use your phone to pay now because PayPal QR code payments are now accepted at CVS stores nationwide. So it's super easy to make touch-free payments with just your phone. Plus, you get $10 cash back on your first purchase of $20 or more. It's so easy to use PayPal or Venmo at CVS to pay because it's just a few taps in the app and I'm done. I don't have to deal with all of that. Oh, like, did I get give you the exact change. Wait, let me get this card. Or no, should I use this card? Like you don't have to do any of that. And it works with a cashier or at self-checkout. I love self-checkout. And it's almost like you're kind of getting paid to do it. Because the first time I made a purchase of $20 or more, I got $10 cash back. It was almost like getting everything half off. I've used PayPal for years for online purchases. I mean, this has been like my go-to. It just gives me peace of mind. I trust it. I love it. But now I love that I can use it in stores now and I'm getting the same type of peace of mind, the same security that I know and love with PayPal. So to get $10 cash back on your first transaction of $20 or more, just head to your local CVS and pay using your PayPal or Venmo app. It's that simple. So that's $10 cash back 
back on your first purchase of $20 or more with the PayPal or Venmo app. To see terms and learn more about how to earn $10 cash back, go to paypal.com slash rotten. Then he dedicated a song to his parents and he sang a solo acapella of One Sweet Day by Mariah Carey. And the lyrics go like this. Sorry I never told you all I wanted to say. Now it's too late to hold you because you've flown away. So far away, never had I imagined living without your smile. And I know you're shining down on me from heaven like so many friends we've lost along the way. And I know eventually we'll be together one sweet day. It was emotional for the family, for the friends. But the journalists that were there thought something was a little strange. You know? They'd covered a lot of funerals before. Something about this one was different. Was it the fact that it was a little strange for them to see Seth up there singing this song, like really giving it his all, almost as if he's on The Voice? Or was it the fact that they were even allowed into the funeral? In fact, I mean, journalists typically for high press coverage funerals, unless they've been, you know, part of the family, they've been helping the family get coverage, they're not really invited. Nobody really wants them there. But there was even a media section to take home photocopies of the eulogy so that they didn't have to take notes. It just felt like weird, a little too easy for the journalists, almost like they didn't even have to do their own jobs. That's what the journalist was feeling? Yes. Just a little something was off about the funeral. They had no idea that the police who were also watching the funeral unfold felt off too. Because they had their eyes on Seth since the moment he found the bodies. Are you kidding me right now? Let's start where the police feel. The crime scene itself felt staged. Seth was frantic. He was sobbing. I mean, his shoulders were shaking, but his face was completely dry. No slobber, no snot, no tears. And he was audibly making a lot of noise. No tears? But there were no, I mean, it was just dry. He said, I performed CPR on everyone. I tried to help my sister. But there wasn't much blood on him. So, you know, that doesn't make any sense. He said, no, no, I kept trying to perform CPR with my bare hands. It just felt like an over-explanation. Well, why don't you have a lot more blood on you? I was waiting outside for you guys in the rain. It washed the blood from my clothes. It It was drizzling outside. They also noticed a small blue stain on the sweater that Seth was wearing. What else is blue? The spray paint used to write Fork Off Asians KKK. Oh my goodness. Okay, Seth, well, we have to search your room. And he says, wait, can I tell you something in confidence? Sure, Seth, you can tell us anything. In my dresser, um, I have porn. And he was red in the face. He was embarrassed. That's so strange. Most people would not even think of that. I mean, when their family has just been brutally murdered, that's the last thing you would think of. What's in my room? Oh my God, porn. It's not even illegal. Weird. Later, they had Seth recreate the discoveries of his family's bodies. They do that a lot in a lot of different countries, and they do that in the U.S. too. But um, like it's just a process that re-traumatizes people. So he does it, and he doesn't seem re-traumatized at all. And the whole timing of it seems, seems off. He says, oh, well, I chased the guys out of the garage. So I went down to the garage, opened it, and when it was just open enough that I could slide under, that's what I did. Well, was it one or two people you were chasing? 
I can't remember. Were they in a car? No, 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 no car. But then he would tell a different officer a different thing. There were at least three of them. Two to three of them. Then he would tell another one. They got into a white four-wheel drive. They took off. He also would tell officers, I mean, there was blood gushing out of my sister, like the side of her body, and I was freaking out. Now, the police didn't tell him this, but they knew that the time of death. They knew that she had died around 4 p.m. And if he came home at around, what, 11, 12, she wouldn't be gushing blood. She was already dead. You don't gush blood when you're dead. Or after that many hours. Yeah, because your heart is, once your heart stops, it's not really gushing. Like, it might still come out of your body, but it's not, like, splurting or throbbing out. Mm-hmm. Witnesses saw Seth's car parked outside in the driveway during the time of the murders. They talked to Shane that was there that night, the neighbor, and, um, well, there were some stra- strange things. He said that Seth was sobbing, saying, Papa, 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 and he went to comfort him, like, this poor kid, and he was trying to wipe his tears, right? Mm-hmm. But there were no tears. But he was like, okay, maybe this is like a traumatic response. Maybe this Mm -hmm. is like a stress response. Maybe your body is so much in shock that you don't even have tears. Who Mm -hmm. are you to judge, you know? You've never had an experience like this, right? So that's what he's thinking. Who who the hell am I to judge? I've never been in this position. Yeah. And so when the police start questioning Seth's friends, things are getting stranger. Nothing is matching up with what his family knows about him. To his friends, he was a successful entrepreneur of a security business. Yeah, like he had started a security business. Is that true or not true? No. And he also was the manager of a massive international superstar boy band. I don't know which one, but I'm hoping it's not like a good one. He was a singer himself with a record deal. And they asked, what else do you do in your free time? I'm a lawyer. I'm a champion kickboxer. I'm a model. I'm also a manager of a huge modeling agency. Wow, Sev, how do you do it all? Well, it's gotten a lot easier since I beat cancer. These are things that he's telling his friends. Yes. And he's also training for the Olympics. You got to add in that one, right? No, the family didn't really know any of this. They just knew that in college, Seth was struggling. He wasn't really getting good grades. All he did was hang out with his friends, want to perform with his band. And the parents, they tried whatever they could. They threatened to take away his car. He started trying and his grades start improving. So everyone seemed happy again around the time of the murders. Then Seth came up to Claudine one day and said, Hey, are you doing well in school? Because if you want, I can actually help change your grades for the parents. She said, what? Is that what you're doing for college? And she ended up confiding in the parents. This is what Seth is doing. And on top of that, Seth was dating someone and his parents were pissed. Not only are you not doing well in school, but you're dating someone like we're going to take away your car. Then there was another added level of tension because a family member accused Seth of trying to steal money from her purse. And he didn't deny it. He said, well, if the opportunity arises, I'm just an opportunist. What can I say? Now the family's confused. Like, what's going on with this guy? So they tell the parents and Seth's parents are like, oh, my God. We thought that he was stealing cash from us, too. We never had proof. Then the police talked to Sam. Sam said, I never texted him. I never called him. It was always 8 p.m. Since the day before, we were supposed to meet at 8 p.m. That was like the time that we set. I never talked to him at 6 p.m. Then the phone record showed there truly was no call or text. Okay, so what's the truth? Mm-hmm. They bring in Seth for questioning and the aunt, Emily, who had been at the house, she's there supporting him. She's like, no, this is our baby, Seth. Don't you, don't you dare. You police are disgusting. So she's holding his hand the whole time. And the police are like, well, we're suspicious of you. It's like, what are you talking about? Why? Did you kill your parents? 
No. Well, who do you think killed your parents then? I mean, probably if like, I don't know, like a business enemy. I don't know. I don't know. How am I supposed to know all of these things? Like, I'm, I'm scared. Like, I don't know if I'm next. I don't know if I'm being framed right now. I, I don't know if I'm a scapegoat. I just don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And he shows an email and he says, literally, I got this email and I, I'm freaking out with my family. And, I, you know, the aunt is like, yeah, show them the email. And he's like, I, I don't know what to do. It was written in a mix of Tagalog and English. And it says, you were supposed to be the third person. You're lucky you weren't there. Third person? Yeah. So like saying you were supposed to die instead of your sister. Oh, okay. And so the police are like, what the fork? Now run us through that day again. Okay, well, he's running through the day. Then it was raining and I was sitting in the car. And that's when the aunt immediately, instinctively takes her hand away from Seth. Because she had come around 6 p.m. She had seen Seth's car in the driveway. He wasn't in the car. And she had noted, very importantly, that it wasn't raining. It had just stopped. She didn't need her umbrella. Neither did her son. She would never make her son walk in the rain to the front door. And so from that point forward, she decided to work with the police. The police take his computers and they try and see if they can locate where the email is coming from. And oddly enough, a draft was stored in Seth's computer. A draft of the threatening email. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A draft of the threatening email. I don't even know what to say at this point, okay? They find more evidence on his computer. They start going through his searches. Before the murders, he looked up poisons that don't taste strong, easily mixed in with food, poisonous plants and plant parts, sprinkling the end product with soup, how to kill. These were his Google searches. He ordered two highly lethal plants online from the United States, and he started looking at Australian-based ones so that they could ship it to his house faster. But one of them wasn't taking orders at the moment, so he emailed them. It's my mom's 60th birthday, and she loves these particular seeds. When she saw them in Florida last year, oh my god, she was smitten. Please let me get this for her for her birthday. She's 43, and she hasn't been to Florida. So, like, what's going on? Mm -hmm. When the police approach him with this, he said, that was probably my dad, not me. And when they're like, no, 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 we know it's you, especially because in your room, we found a clear vial of liquid. We just ran it through the lab. And it's a poisonous liquid that comes from one of those exact seeds that you had ordered online. And it would be lethal enough if someone had taken it. And he said, oh, that was for me. I was planning on eating it myself. Why would you do that? Because I lied to my friends that I had cancer and I needed to like, you know, back it up somehow. So I was just going to get a little bit sick and be in the hospital. What? And remember, a couple days before the murder, Lovia had to go to the hospital for strong stomach pains. <gasps> she had no idea where it was coming from. Oh, my gosh. And she kept saying, like, what's wrong with me? And Seth said, you know what, Mom? My stomach hurts a little, too. Food poison? Yeah. And she's like, oh, my God. When we went out to eat last week, just you and I had that dish. She's like, oh, my God. We got food poisoning from that freaking restaurant. Probably so undercooked. he's already tried to kill her once. Yes. He also religiously visited that page made by Daisy Diaz, his fan page. So they're thinking maybe she's involved. Number one fan talks about how much she loves him. Are you kidding? So they ask her, where can we find her? Like, uh, are you guys dating? Do you guys know her from high school or something? No, she recently died. What? A teenager. Wow, that's tragic. What happened? Well, she lives in the United States, and um, she died during 9-11. This was in 2001. Who said this? Seth, to the police. 
he said, yeah, she just died during the 9-11 attacks. She's based in New York City. I actually went to her funeral. You did? Can you show us some receipts? Because you got you to gotta buy an airline ticket. You can't yeah. just show up. Yeah, not today, but I can, I can show you. They find out in reality, Daisy Diaz did not die in the September 11th attacks. She doesn't even exist. It was Seth. It was him posting oh. all along. What the fork? So then he lies to all of his remaining family members who are somewhat on his side. Well, they're just mainly confused. They don't know what to believe, right? Because he's telling them the police are just trying to look for an easy way out. I mean, I might believe it if my cousin was like, not Dan Dan, okay? If my other cousins were like, listen, I did not kill my family. They're trying to blame me because they're lazy. Mm -hmm. They don't want to do their job or maybe there's corruption. I don't know. Maybe I would believe it because it's like my family member and I'm like jaded. Like I got my little rosy glasses on and I'm like, oh, my family member could never. So they decide we're going to help support you. He says, well, the police says that I have to move out of my house for safety reasons. So I need you guys to pay for this very expensive condo because I try to get my inheritance, which is worth millions of dollars. Yeah, the parents had, I think, close to two million dollars of assets in Australia and a couple million in the Philippines in terms of real estate. But I can't get it yet because the police are investigating me. So I need you guys to pay for this very luxurious condo. And they did. And they did. Wow. And on top of that, he sold all of the family's valuables without even getting consent from family members. Jewelry, cars, everything. For what? Because he wanted to buy a $200,000 Lexus. What? I didn't know they had a $200,000 Lexus. That's... Yeah. Dumb. Yeah. So that he's like, yeah, I gotta buy this two hundred thousand dollar Lexus. He puts a deposit on it, and he's like, yeah, I'm gonna pay the rest when my I get my money, my inheritance. Mm -hmm. Then the police confront him with the fact that many people, even the postman, a lot of people saw your car parked, but you weren't there. So your car was parked in the driveway at the time of the murders, but you weren't in the car. So were you in the house? Because that would put you at the crime scene at the time of the murders. He said, you know what? I lied about it all. Okay, you want the truth? I'll tell you the truth. I went to a sex worker's place. I went to a brothel. <sighs> you know, I don't want to shame my family because they thought I was a virgin. We're Catholic. I left the office. I parked my car at home because I can't have my car near a brothel. I walked to the local gas station. I got a taxi to the brothel. And then I had sex with a sex worker. And um, no, you can't verify payment because... I was so good at the sex that she told me that I didn't have to pay. So I didn't even pay her in anything, really. Just good old sex. Like, the best sex she's ever had, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I cannot believe this. So, then I got a taxi back home. And then I went to go pick up Sam. So that's why I don't really have an alibi. Because I was, you know, doing other things. Okay, well, what's the sex worker's name? They go interview her and she's like, I wasn't even working that day, but he has my phone number and he has texted me over a hundred times begging me to say that he was with me that day and that the sex was so good that I didn't even charge him. Oh my Then God. they track down the alleged taxi driver that drove him and he said, wait, what? A murder investigation? He told me like he just needed proof for like his girlfriend or something or like his mom. And so I was like, yeah, I'll be your alibi for he's 50 like bucks. A, he's like a little kid trying to cover yeah. 
their own little lies. Exactly. Little and it's like, how do you, in your head, do you think that this is how the real world works? Because yeah, that's not how. you brutally how, murder your whole family. I think it's like the juxtaposition of how do you do something so heinous and brutal like that and then uh-huh. be the biggest. I don't even. Yeah, idiot. Yeah. Just bizarre. He would actually tell an undercover cop, and I quote, People don't suspect me because it's just Seth with the little baby face. But I have a split personality. I can hide what I do. And he talks about how he's part of a gang. Yeah. So they do a handwriting analysis and it's a partial match for the graffiti on the wall. So at this point, you know, it's closing in on Seth. So what does he do? He tells his family that he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Yeah, chronic. It was going to be life-threatening. He's going to die. And uh, he needs about $200,000 to get life-saving emergency. So they go to the police because that's bizarre. And at this point, side note, he had actually gotten a different Lexus. And guess what the license plate is? It's the biggest slap in the face and it's going to make you so pissed off. TLCS. Teddy, Lovia, Claudine, Seth. He got the license plate to be like his family members' names. Are you kidding? After you murdered them, you use the money from selling their valuables and that's what you get on your license plate? So then he calls the cops and he says, my place has been broken into. I've just gotten threatening emails. Oh, it gets worse, babe. He says, um, the emails say, make it easy on yourself. Confess to the police now. Your father deserved it. They investigate. There's no evidence that the place had been broken into and the IP address for the email was coming from an internet cafe with no CCTV footage in Sydney, Australia. Not the Philippines. Like he was trying to make the first email scene half Tagalog, half English, you know. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, he starts getting bizarre. He tries to do these media interviews. Then the police find him lying on the side of the street in a gutter with a plastic bag near him. They rush him to the hospital. And he looks at the doctors and he says, where am I? What year is it? (laughs) He's laughing because it's, no, yeah. Who am I? Who am I? He says, he says, who am I? He's like trying everything he's ever read. Do you know what your name is? No. He had suffered Memory loss. The doctors were skeptical because there was no trauma to the head at all. It's like me just showing up at the hospital tomorrow being like, what year is it? Is this Mars? Are there flying cars yet? It's like there's no evidence that anything happened. Like none at all. Sure, maybe there could be some, you know, medical mystery in the works. But like, really, you think so? It's just so convenient. Then magically, all of a sudden, when the police show up, his memory comes back. And he says, I know what happened. I was kidnapped while I was walking down the street, pulled, pulled into a random car, suffocated with a plastic bag over my head. And they started beating me on the head with something like a piece of wood. OK. And they said, if you continue to talk to the press, to the media, I will kill all your family members, especially your grandma. And then they just tossed him back out. And he suffered temporary memory loss. So at this point. When he mentioned the grandma, the police are like, okay, this guy, we don't know if he's going to kill his grandma to try to cover things up. So we got to arrest him. So they arrest him on three counts of murder. Ran his prints. Gets even crazier. There was a match. To what? A letter that had been sent recently. Oh, man. To a food manufacturer. And it says, 
I have contaminated your products with deadly poison on supermarket shelves. This is what happens when you treat your employees like shit. Good luck finding the contaminated products before people die. Go to hell. Does he work for them? No. Oh. Because he was trying to poison his whole family and this was like the alibi. So if this company goes into full-on meltdown, starts recalling products, people end up being poisoned. It's not Seth. He's just the tragic, you know. I, th- I don't know. Maybe got inspired by the very famous Japanese case. Remember mm-hmm. the monster with 52 faces or whatever, where they were, you know, saying that we put cyanide and all these little pockies and all these little snacks and stuff. Yeah. But this guy, though. Yeah. He- yeah. And that also coincided with the Google search that he did looking for the address for the manufacturers. So I'm just saying, like, what's going on? Do you, does he not think that Google searches? Does he think they're like anonymous or something? Like he's like, Google is pretty much the dark web. No one's going to know. Are you kidding? Are you kidding me? So he wasn't offered bail. He did try to get his entire inheritance to pay for his defense, but they refused. So it's kind of this tricky situation where taxpayers would be paying for his defense. The inheritance for the rest of the family would be split amongst the remaining actual innocent family members. Yeah, this was just a lot of debate because he was upset. And I'm not saying that public defenders aren't great. They're amazing and they do incredibly difficult jobs for really not as much pay as private criminal defense attorneys. They are genuinely good people. Like you do not become a public defender because you're trying to make bajillions of dollars. Like you're doing it to represent the people that don't have money for a banging attorney. But oftentimes because they're overworked, because they're not paid appropriately to the job that they do, they might be too exhausted to do as, you know, as snaky of a job as other attorneys. So he's really pissed about it. And his attorney comes up with, you know, the defense of, well, it's not him. His lying has nothing to do with the murders. His lying is just PTSD from being trapped under the rubble in the earthquake. And he's just got issues. He's got issues because his parents never loved him. They were really strict and he still wets the bed. At 20 years old, yeah, he pees the bed. They're like, okay, well. We still think that your ass is guilty. So they find him guilty. And Seth was genuinely shocked. It's like, what? And all the family said, yes, justice was served. We just wish it wasn't him because it makes it so much harder. It just feels like they've lost another family member. And here's what he said to them. Whatever pain you're feeling, this is to his family member. Whatever pain you're feeling, Grandma, I'm feeling it worse than you. I'm not going to plead guilty to something I didn't do just to make people happy. <laughs> just to make people happy? Like, who's happy? Yeah, what? Like, you think the prosecutor cares that much about you? Yeah, that is weird. And so he was sentenced to life without parole, still fails to accept any responsibility, claims he's innocent, and it's just like the most heartbreaking situation. And I just want to preface this by saying, you know, he's 20. Let's say, because I saw some sources that were like, oh, well, the tiger parenting was is questionable he was spanked as a kid he's 20 i maybe i if i had more facts on this tiger parenting if i if he was also like 10 12 you know and he's being brutally abused at home has feels like he has no chance of escape but at 20 you can just walk away you can walk away at 20 especially from these parents maybe you know not super abusive parents but these parents from all their friends and family they're saying they were strict they were not abusive. Yeah. It just sounds to me it just sounds like a pretty 
standard straight Asian, Asian parenting. Parent, it's just yeah. really like yeah. And the fact, the way that he killed them too. Yeah. And it seems what like really was it's the, it was just uh, with knives and, and bats, like just brutal. So they they saw him the whole time. I I just can't. Yeah. I just don't see how someone can do that. And the primary motive was not to be freed from discipline or from the strict, quote-unquote, abusive household. It was for money because he went to go see his dad's accountant the day after the murder to see when he could seize the assets, seize control. So the motive was very strongly money. I mean, look at what he's doing. He's buying this $200,000 Lexus. He's trying to get into this condo. He did write a poem as a kid that is very just eerie. So it wrote, um, just what is it in me? Sometimes I don't know. Though you're in me now, I fail and hurt you still. You have forgiven me too many times, it seems. Take me out of the dark, Lord, because I don't want to be alone. What are your thoughts on this case? I just, I mean, none of that makes sense to me. No, that makes sense to me. I mean, it's obvious that he's a narcissist from what he's like writing and all of those Daisy Diaz dedication page to him. Maybe it's a situation where a narcissist is being forced with to face the reality that he's not that great. Let me know. What are your thoughts on this one? And I hope you guys enjoyed this week's mini-sode and I will see you guys on Wednesday. Bye. <laughs>